HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At the Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online dash video dash series. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to At The Table, our online video series. Today I am talking to truly one of my personal heroes. This is uh, Davida Davison coming from Detroit. She's the director of Food Lab Detroit. She's just, um, in addition to being a director of this amazing community gardens program, just changing Detroit for the better. She's just such an an incredible thinker and speaker. And um, I've had the very fortunate opportunity of, of hearing her speak. And it was like 
you know, an unforgettable experience. So I'm so honored to be in her presence today. So Davida, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us from Detroit. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It is, um, you know, how am I? I am personally okay, right? I'm healthy. Um, my family's healthy. Um, I'm in a safe space. I'm employed. I've got a roof over my head and, and food on the refrigerator. And you know what? At this point in time of where we are, that is enough. Yeah, That's enough to be able to get out of bed and put two feet on the floor and, and to do a deep inhale and exhale and to be able to breathe from my lungs on my own. That is enough. And it's so everything. I am, I am, I am okay. Um, my community, however, um, is hurting down, but not out. That's right. Um, um, in despair, but not defeated. And so we, we will rise. Um, but right now, um, we are trying to climb our way out of a really, really deep hole. Um, and, um, and so my thoughts, my hearts, um, uh, my energy is with the, um, community, uh, food workers and chefs and restaurateurs, not only in Detroit, um, but all over the world. So, but I'm good. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're good. And I couldn't agree more that just having those um, sort of basic fundamental things right now does feel like everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, you know, what you just spoke about in terms of like the sort of the global community. Um, we are in crisis. And it's not just because the restaurants were mandated to shut down. There's obviously sort of deep root reasons um, why we are in the position we are. Can you just talk about some of the fundamental reasons why we're in this state of crisis right now? Yeah, so um, as you said in the opening, I'm the director of a nonprofit organization called Food Lab Detroit. So folks tend to get Food Lab Detroit and Keep Growing Detroit Confused a little bit. Okay. So Keep Going Detroit, however, is the nonprofit organization that helps to um, cultivate and to grow a community of about 1,600 urban farms and gardens in the city of Detroit. We have a really strong urban agriculture community in Detroit of urban farmers. Um, and there are about 1,600 farms and gardens in Detroit. Food Lab Detroit, where I'm the director, is a nonprofit organization that's a business support organization that really helps to incubate and more importantly, accelerate businesses. What does that mean, right? We provide workshops and training, but most of all, community to food entrepreneurs, chefs, restaurateurs who wanted to be a part of, and here's the catch, who wanted to be a part of what we call a good food movement. Mm -hmm. Why was that so important? Why was Food Lab established? Why were we cultivating? Why were we connecting these entrepreneurs, these restaurateurs to be a part of this organization? Because we feel that there is a strong community, strong, not a lot, but a strong community of restaurateurs and food owners and chefs who really wanted to do something new and something different. And the reason why we wanted to do something different is because we were quite aware of what some consumers and some folks are starting to learn now as a result of this COVID virus, is that the coronavirus has exposed an ugly underbelly in the restaurant industry. Right. And that ugly underbelly is that this industry is propped up on the backs of our most vulnerable workers. Right. And Food Lab really was birthed 
from the fact that there are folks out there, there's chefs, there's restaurateurs, people who own coffee shops and diners and all kinds of food establishment who said, you know what? It does not have to be that way. Mm. We can have a profitable business. But we also can think about the people who we work with, the folks, the vendors that we work with, the farmers that we locally source our ingredients with. We can think about people and we can think about the planet. So Food Lab Detroit really came out of this call to bring people together so that we can start a movement of good food businesses who are operating under what we call the triple bottom line. And the triple bottom line is about profit, it's about people, and it's about the planet. Because for far too long, the restaurant industry has been exploiting the least of these. And we're seeing this play out now. We're seeing it play out. Restaurant workers don't have paid time off. Restaurant workers do not have access to health insurance or health care or mental health care. Restaurant workers are in many cases across, and it varies, it varies from state to state, but our front of the house staff, in so many cases are paid what we call sub-minimum wage. That means there's a different minimum wage from front of the house workers than there's a federal minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because our front of the house workers get paid a sub-minimum wage. It can go as low as $3.33 an hour. I've seen it as high as maybe five fifty-eight an hour, right? But the reason why they get paid so little, they have this sub-minimum wage, is because the business model for restaurants is that front-of-the-house workers, their salary is subsidized through what we call tips, tip wage workers. But how that is affecting them now and how that is playing it out now is that we know in the industry, cash tips go unreported. But guess what? Your Your, um, Your unemployment check that I'd heard in the state of Michigan our um, unemployment office saw an increase of over 2,000% of unemployed workers. In the state of Michigan, we have 16,500 restaurants, almost all of them, the majority of them, particularly they're dying in, are closed down now. And out of that 16,500, about 600,000 of them are workers. And here's how that plays out in unemployment, particularly with tip wage workers. Your unemployment check is based upon the actual revenue that you report to the IRS, right? right. Is actually report. So if you're not reporting tips, which we know many folks across the industry do not report cash tips, your unemployment check is only going to be reflective of the amount of money that you said that you earned that particular year. So I know some folks are getting unemployment checks in tune of $280, $300 a week. And and, and that's just a business model. These are structural challenges in the restaurant industry. So Food Lab really came out of the fact that we were bringing entrepreneurs and restaurateurs and food owners together because we knew that there was a way that you can not only have a profitable restaurant, but what are the models? What are the systems? What are the strategies where we can also take care of workers and feed folks delicious food in the process? Yeah. I mean, I guess my question is, how do you do that? Because the, the current model is seems so just intrinsic to the industry. How do you kind of flip it, you know, up, upside down and start over again, which is, I guess, is what we're going to have to do at this point. Hey, here's it. Here's it. Here's the thing. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's hard. And so I don't want to at all set the expectation that building this new model building this new way of how we create restaurants are going to be easy because it's not. 
And Food Lab has been, I'm sorry, Food Lab has been in operations now kind of working with um, small business owners and entrepreneurs who are really looking at how do I operate a business at the intersection of people, profit, and planet. Some folks who look at this video may know it um, as B Corp operations, right? And so, um, um, food businesses that are, are B Corps who, again, ascribe by this kind of philosophy, Jenny Splendid Ice Cream um, um, is, 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 is a B Corp. Um, what is my favorite ice cream? Um, Jerry. Uh, ben and Jerry's um, is, is a B Corp. Um, they're not a, they're not a um, food company. They're a retailer um, that serves outerwear, but they're my favorite B Corporation. Patagonia is, is a B Corporation. So, so it can be done. Mm-hmm. Operating a business that is not extractive, but operating a business that is restorative can be done, but it's hard. And so how how, how do you do it? Number one is you find models out there. But number two is you have to have systems in place that allow for you to do that, right? And so what I mean by systems, it is um, you have to have systems in place when you're bringing people in to really describe to them what kind of restaurant you are and how that you're different, right? In one system, you need to understand what your mission and your values, your, your why statement. And another system is a handbook. So when you're interviewing and hiring like front of the house staff, you have to let them know that you're coming into a place where you won't receive tips. We're doing something different, right? We're changing, we're creating systems. However, you might not receive as much money. Let's just say you don't receive as much money working for us as some place that you would where you receive tips. However, We have what's called a benefits package. That means not only do you get a wage, that's not dependent upon tips, but we also offer health care. We also offer access maybe to a nearby gym. We also offer meals. Like we what the reason why I say this is hard because what's gonna have to happen is we start to professionalize our industry. And I understand, like the restaurant industry, the reason why I love it so much is because it attracts people who are creative it attracts folks who, who may think are you know are are not tra- non-traditionalist but there has to be a way for us to professionalize our industry so we can set systems and structures in place and models in place so that we can create businesses um, that are also profitable but also are taking care of their work our workers as well right but it's gonna be hard mm-hmm. and, and, I'm, and I'm gonna tell you sorry another reason why it's really going to be difficult and I know consumers are asking me and they're asking chefs and they're asking each other and they're asking restaurant workers, what can we do to support the restaurant industry right now? That's a, that's a question that's being asked. What can I do as a consumer? And I think what you can do as a consumer right now, in addition to calling your congressmen and our elected officials to ensure that small businesses and restaurants are a part of the relief package, but one of the things that they can do is be cognizant. Because in order to create a new industry that does take care of its workers, consumers are going to have to be willing to pay a little bit more. That's right. There's a reason why Popeye's can serve a chicken sandwich for $3.99, but a good friend of mine, Evan, who runs Egg in Brooklyn, may charge 11 for his. That's because he takes care of his staff, right? That's sure. all built into the cost. So consumers are going to have to be cognizant. Yeah. I mean, especially now that there's an understanding that these are, in fact, essential workers. We should pay them as such. Right, exactly. Sorry, they are, they are essential workers. Right. Um, so I know this is a, <laughs> a big question to unpack for you, but you speak about this a lot. How, how do race and class right now factor into whether or not a restaurant is likely to either succeed or fail once we come out of this? 
Yeah, you know, I'm really interested. I know that um, Ayala Presley, who is a congresswoman in um, um, in Massachusetts, and I think um, some of her um, fellow congressmen and women have asked for, have mm-hmm. have really requested what is the data look Warren, like? Yeah. Elizabeth Warren, exactly. Elizabeth Warren, our senator, who's also in the same state as um, uh, Ayala Presley, they have asked for and called out, can we break down how this corona crisis cuts across class um, and race specifically? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm going to be looking for that as well. And the reason why I'm going to be looking for that is that I know that in many cases, um, the restaurateurs who have been able to pivot their business model very quickly, very rapidly, right, were businesses that were able to stay open. So when the call was made from our governor that all dining rooms have to close, but you can still continue to do takeout, you can still continue to do curbside and delivery. Some of our businesses did not have did not have a kind of team in place that where they could easily switch their business model to that. Some of them didn't even have the technology that was put in place where they can start doing or taking delivery. Their menus weren't even set up for that quick pivot, right? right? Some businesses, um, particularly in in communities of color, uh, where you are talking about raising the amount of the capital that you need to even start your business. Sorry, they didn't come to the table with investors behind them. They didn't they didn't have access to the capital that was they could have some folks have in terms of being able to tap into friends and family or being able to tap into um, an inheritance. Many of them started their businesses with the bare minimum. Bare minimum in terms of what can I tap into my savings, maybe some grants and loans, and did not have a marketing strategy put in didn't in place. I've talked to restaurateurs in black and brown communities are like, what's GoFundMe? Like what is like what right. what's that? They don't know how to they they had no idea. They weren't technically savvy. They did not know how to do that. And so um, how I'm, I would really love to see how this breaks down in race and class, not only because, you know, some restaurants had more sophisticated technology, but some restaurants are located in communities that have been marginalized for years and years and years in Detroit. I mean, some folks opened up businesses for the last couple of years that didn't even have a sit-down restaurant in their neighborhood for 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. And why that's so important is because they went into markets where nobody else wanted to go. But these were entrepreneurs from the community who said, you know what, we deserve a coffee shop too. We deserve a sit-down restaurant too. We deserve a healthy vegan restaurant too. And they went into those communities. Why I'm nervous is because the members of those communities, the residents of those communities, they too are in peril. Their livelihoods have been interrupted. Will they still have a disposable income? Will they still have the resources to support these small businesses, right? And in also in also these communities as well, in the city of Detroit specifically, where our population, at least 30 to 40% are at or below the poverty line. What concerns me most is that the system in in Detroit, we already had vulnerable folks in these communities as well. So I'm concerned about the safety and the health of these restaurateurs and their workers in some of the communities where we are seeing hot spots in neighborhoods um, where people of color live. Should they even stay open, sorry? I mean, how are they putting themselves and their staff at risk in these hot spot neighborhoods? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's my next question is, um, what examples have you seen of business owners being kind of like strategic and responsible um, in a way that's kind of, you know, taking their their staff into consideration, but also their businesses into consideration? And then what are some examples that you see, you know, are are not working right now, or or you don't feel like, um, you know, are thoughtful? Yeah, I think, I um, mean, so there, there, there's a couple business models. Um, you know, we have numerous um, restaurants in Detroit, um, whether it was um, a Flowers of Vietnam that's located in Southwest Detroit, a Folk that's located in, in, in Corktown um, that I'm seeing as well. Um, Sister Pie that was located in the villages. He started just a few um, of restaurants to shout out. Number one, they were able to quickly pivot, right, to a delivery or to a takeout model. But they also were able, and I'm speaking about folks specifically, was able to um, also offer grocery items, fresh produce um, in their stores as well. So those things were working, right? How do I quickly pivot, right, and be able to stay open, you know, maintain some of my staff? All of them have had to download. I mean, all of them have had to cut staff down. They have been able to at least hold on to a couple of people because Mm -hmm. they were able to pivot, right? So those things were working. However, as Detroit became more and more and more and more um, recognized as a hotspot because the virus began to run rapid through the community, restaurateurs had to decide, do I put myself and my staff at risk? And so Lisa decided over his sister pie, she was like, no, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm closing my doors. Um, I tried to stay open as long as I could serve the community, but now I'm really fearful that I could be putting myself and my staff at risk when they close. Um, and so folk, Rohani over at Folk is still open. I uh, know George over at Flowers is still open. Um, and then um, April Anderson, who also is on the Avenue of Fashion, again, she, she's still open as well. Um, but there are members um, of the Food Lab community and other small business that I'm hearing from that um, their parents and folks in their family have tested positive. And so they've decided to shut their businesses down and take care of elderly loved ones as much as possible. And also it was a wake up call that this could be, this could be serious um, in terms of putting themselves in, 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 in jeopardy. And so they've shut down. So those things are, those things are working. So those business models that pivot was, did work for a while, but let's not, um, kid ourselves. It isn't sustainable. Right. Um, I think some things that did work as well for those folks that were able to do it. Um, folks were able to use GoFundMe's and raise money, uh, to, uh, take care of staff. But I'm gonna tell you something that I loved what, what did work. Mm. And that is there are many restaurants that I talk to in the food lab community and not in the food lab community in Detroit, that when they decided to shut their doors, or when they decided to temporarily close down to ride this out. It wasn't just a matter of like, oh, we just turn off the lights and we just lock the door behind us and that's it. No, you've got a refrigerator and a freezer full of food. Mm-hmm. And many chefs and many restaurateurs packed up care packages full of food and they dispersed it to their employees, right? And so that was a part of the process about, okay, you know what, we've gotta have this food in the walk-in and the cooler, how do we disperse it? How do we share it, you know, with our staff and delivered care packages to to staff all over the city of Detroit. I think another thing that's working is bringing chefs together um, because they're always so, so busy and they don't have a time to to kind of work with each other a lot. 
one of the things that are working is chefs are coming together um, to feed our most vulnerable. So there's a there's a camaraderie of chefs um, in Detroit um, from uh, Chef Genevieve, Chef Maxwell Hardy, um, Chef um, Chef Michael Ramson, um, Stephanie. They all come together and they are feeding the homeless community. Right, they're taking donations and they're starting to feed the homeless. Um, George and I have been on the phone with um, Eric um, Bernard Yang um, out in D.C. He started a really powerful movement that's called the Power of Ten, where he's looking at now um, raising. We can raise ten thousand dollars. We can hire back ten workers, and we can make a thousand meals to feed um, rest. Who can feed folks that are on the front line, our hospital, our hospital workers. So what is working is what I knew what was going to happen as we settle into this is that you are about to see some of the most innovative, the most creative, the most game-changing, the most revolutionary uh, kind of ideas, because this is the community that can do this. Restaurateurs, chefs, cooks, they can't sit still. They cannot sit still. They're like, we are ready to jump in and get involved, even if it means risking their own self. But this is a time where you're starting to see all this birthing of ideas um, in terms of, number one, how do we take care of our community, right? How do we take care of our staff? And what are the business models that we can put in place to make sure that if there is going to be a future in this industry, we build it. We yeah. build it now and we build it the right way. So, I mean, it, it, those are some of the great things that are happening. So yeah. I don't want to just picture, I don't want to just paint a, a doom, kind of doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the clouds are cloudy right? These are dark days, but I'm looking for silver linings mm. in those dark clouds. Yeah. I love your optimism, Davida. And I, I kind of do want to end, I guess, on, on this higher note. Um, so I might skip a couple of the doom and gloom questions yeah. um, and just ask, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're in touch with chefs from other parts of the country. And I'm just curious, other uh, is there a coalition that's being formed that you're a part of where you're kind of out there talking about the models that have worked for you and presenting examples of, you know, what, what this industry can look like going forward? Yeah, so our, our the, the, the job of Food Lab Detroit is really um, about these kind of three R's that we thought of. One is kind of like rapid response, how we responded to folks now. The other one is really about um, recovery. And then the last R is really about resiliency. And resiliency is really about how are we capturing how are we capturing this qualitative and quantitative information in real time, and then how are we sharing that back out to others, right? So that's super important. But so no, there is not a larger, broader kind of umbrella coalition that I am a part of. But let me tell you what in it on a high note. What I'm seeing is chefs and 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 and, and restaurateurs are using their voices in a unified way like I have never seen before. All over the country, I'm seeing independent, not restaurants that are part of, you know, what we know as the NRA. I'm talking about the global, national, franchise, quick service, fast food restaurants. I'm not talking about those kind of restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about independently owned local restaurants are coming together and organizing in a way where they are uniting their voices. And they're doing that so that they can impact legislation. My God, chefs as leaders. Now, the James Beer Foundation has been doing this kind of chef boot camping for a long time. But what I am starting to see is that we are starting to understand that if we're going to come back stronger and even more delicious as an industry, we cannot do it in a silo. We have got to join forces with other folks, whether that is other chefs in Detroit, 
chefs in, in Seattle, chefs in Washington, D.C. You know, I was, um, I am moved by my mentor, uh, Martha Hoover, and I read an article in Eater where she's been on the phone talking to chefs and restaurateurs in Seattle, Washington, because they got hit hard first. Yeah. And Martha's like, okay, how can I learn from their experience? And they've been more than willing to share, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. folks are calling Detroit. Like, what are you guys doing? I'm calling right. Chicago. I'm in contact with the independent restaurant group in Chicago. Was Just got off the phone with Eric Williams from Virtue. All this is happening. And so chefs are unifying their voices, restaurateurs, independent restaurateurs are unifying their voices and says, you know what? We, I'm just hoping it stays like this. I'm like, yes, let's, let's keep this unity. Um, but we are really unifying because we are making sure that we are not left out of the conversation. If there's going to be a, a relief package, if there's going to be an economic stimulus bill, we're going to be in it and we are going to make our voices known in terms of what do we want and what is needed to keep this industry alive. So that's where we are. All right. Thank you, Davida. It's, uh, you're welcome. You know, <laughs> as long as you're out there, I don't think anyone can ignore your voice. Oh, it is too no. powerful. I am, I am, I'm locked arm in arm. I know um, you are. So many ama amazing leaders, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just happy um, right now that we're coming together in a unified voice, and we'll get through this. Yeah. We'll get through it. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and I want to see everybody on the other side. That's right. All right. All right. So you stay safe. Thank you so much for Thank talking you. To us today. Oh, actually, one more question. Where can we follow you? Where can we keep in touch with you online? Yeah. So um, there are a couple ways you can follow me. I'm on Twitter um, at uh, Davida Davison. I'm also um, on Instagram and um, Food Lab Detroit is on Instagram as well. Right. So you can find us on Instagram and you can find us on Twitter. Okay. Thanks, Davida. All right. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Okay. okay. Bye. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. This program is powered by Simplecast.